Okay, so, um, good morning. It is a good morning. I was talking to somebody this morning, and uh, I said, man, you look like just springy. And uh, she was thinking that she looked springy in what she was wearing. But I, know, so I said, no, your face. And I see a lot of faces that seem to be really happy this morning. And um, that's good. Uh, hopefully, by the end of what I'm going to share, that you'll still feel that way. But who knows? So uh, this week, um, I was, uh, you know, putting together my sermon uh, notes, and, and uh, I said to my wife, uh, Lynn, I said, you know, um, this week I'm going to do something a little bit different, um, something, a different kind of sermon, something different. I'm going to do something different that I haven't done before. And her response, instead of what, was, are you going to dance? <laughs> I've never seen you dance during one of your sermons before. Well, no. Thankfully, the Lord did not instruct me to dance. And I think it's not just for my sake, but for the health of our greater uh, community this morning. Um, I'm not going to dance. Actually, I think I'm a pretty decent dancer. At least I've always back in the day. So. Does it go up any further? There we go. Okay. So, uh, yeah, welcome if you're new. Uh, make sure that you stop by the visitor table if you, uh, before you leave today, and uh, we'll give you some instructions at the, at the end of the message. Um, we have been in a series on the book of Acts for the past, well, five times that we've been here on, on Sunday morning. And uh, so I'm this week we're on... Uh, week five of the sermon series, so I'm going to be preaching out of uh, Acts 5. Um, I'm actually going to start a little bit earlier. I spoke last time on Acts 4, but I didn't finish it, and I think it's important. It kind of goes together with what we're going to be talking about. So if you have a Bible, or it'll be projected up there, Acts 4, uh, starting at verse 32, and I'm reading out of the uh, ESV version in case you're wondering. Okay. Now the full number of those who believed in Jesus' gospel message were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a cool name. I'd love to have that name. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Acts 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? 
While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So it's kind of clear here that he was saying, you know, he sold it for this much, but he, he kept some of it. So he was lying, and that was the problem. He could have held on to all of it. I mean, Peter said, you know, it's, it was yours, but you're lying. So when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter saying to and Peter said to her, kind of giving her the chance to fess up, tell me whether you sold the land for her so much. And she said, yes, you know, for this amount. So this, uh, there was this ongoing lie that she stuck with. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of those things. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so what is going on here? Um, is this the same God that we know? And love and trust and loves us. Well, let, let me, before we get into a, a little bit of this, let's make it clear again that God did not require this couple to sell their land, uh, nor give all the money that they had made, nor even give any of the money they had made. Peter made that clear, but they lied. They lied to the church and they lied to God. So, what made them lie? Well, I, I mean, my guess is, you look at verse chapter 4 about Barnabas, and you can kind of read between the lines that his act that he did was looked on with great honor, right? So Ananias and Sapphira probably craved that praise and honor that he had had. But their hearts, their motives, and actions were sinful. And God is holy. So this story actually should bring up a number of big questions for us. The first question that I have to set forth is, should we make a theology of this? That when we lie to God and to the church, that God is going to strike us down dead? Well, it's easy to say, of course not. Oh, really? Why would we say, of course, he wouldn't do it? He did it here. Is it that, well, it just can't be because our theology just doesn't allow for it. Or our thoughts about who God is just doesn't allow for it. Now, if that's the only answer or response that we have, we better check out some things about our theology and about our heart. Where does our theology come from? And how do we understand who God is? Now, 
I, I would consider myself a, a, a charismatic, and uh, some of you may or may not, but I think a lot of us would say, like, we would like to think of ourselves as people of the Spirit, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. That we listen to God in the secret place, in our deepest place in our hearts. We go into the prayer closet and just listen to God and just listen, you know, get quiet. And this is, this is a good thing. But sometimes I would say even the most spiritual of us mishear or misinterpret what God is saying or doing. All of us have, right? No matter how spiritual we seem or how often we say that we hear the voice of God, which again, I believe in that and I believe that happens and I believe that's good and important, but there are times that even the most spiritual of us must mishear or misinterpret God. So thinking about the scripture, I think that we'd all agree that it's pretty clear that Ananias and Sapphira died because they lied to God. And that's kind of straightforward. Um, so most of us wouldn't say, well, God didn't really do this. But I wonder if some of us might be tempted this morning towards the response of, well, God did do this, but he wouldn't anymore. Or I don't like that God did it this way. Or even, okay, this happened, but I don't get it, so I'm just going to kind of overlook it and go on to the next passage. Even though God does speak to our spirit through supernatural words and, and visions and stuff like that, there's the one thing that we can be sure of, that God is always speaking by his Holy Spirit through his written word. Always. 2 Timothy 3, a lot of you guys may have memorized this verse. This is really clear. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture. Not just the parts that we like or the parts that we understand. And God-breathed. The Greek of that is this, this word Theopneustos. Theo is God and neustos is wind or breath. So it's spoken by the very breath, the very words of God. All scripture is God breathed. So every time we find the Holy Spirit working or speaking in scripture, it is by this neustos or pneuma, this breath or wind that he's speaking. It's all God breathed. Every bit of it. If I had an actual Bible, I'd I'm using an iPad. I would show you it and say everything in here is God breathed. Even if you don't like what it says. Or even if you don't understand what it says. Or even if you misinterpret what it says. So we can count on scripture, God's word, to be not only the final word, but to be the Holy Spirit word. Right? We love to hear God's words, but if it doesn't agree with scripture, we're not hearing God's words. Or we're misinterpreting what God's saying. So to, to truly be a person of the Spirit, you really have to be a person of the Word, right? Yes. And I, I mean, I would say the opposite is true too. I mean, to be a person of the Word, you should be a person of the Spirit. They kind of go hand in hand. Well, I, I, I rarely bring out this uh, trump card. Um, but as a pastoral presence here today, I'm going to say that. I'm not actually as concerned this morning about answering what this passage means to us as much as I am 
uh, concerned about a couple questions. How do we read passages like this? Or how do we understand God's nature and character in view of difficult passages in Scripture? I mean, wouldn't it be just easier if the story wasn't in the Bible, you know? Well, if it wasn't in the Bible, we'd be missing what God wants to be in the Bible, and so no. But yeah, it would be easier. We wouldn't have to deal with it. Don't we want our faith to be easy? I mean, just Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, there's something to that, right? We talked a lot about this in Acts 4, that it's, it's the whole thing that's happening, in, in, and Sarah actually referred to it, um, that it's, it's, it's about Jesus' work. Acts is about Jesus' acts, or the Holy Spirit's acts. But do we just want the Jesus that loves me, and I know it because the Bible tells me it? Or, you know, I think a lot of us, we want all of our theology to be kind of simple and straightforward. We don't really want to have to work on it or work at it. You know, you might say, oh, because, we're, you know, we're not works-based. We're grace-based. Well, that's, you know, that's true for your salvation and, and when you get saved. But that's not using Scripture well. That's not what that means. You can especially uh, say that's not what it means um, when you look at Philippians 2.12, which says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So looking at this passage briefly, I think at the most basic level, this story is about how God is demonstrating to his new church how serious it is to lie. And if it's in our heart to lie, and we plan it, and we go through it, we're messing with fire, right? It's speaking against the truth. And Jesus said he is the truth. God loves us, and God loves to forgive us. But he is also holy and not one to trifle with. Now, there's a ton more that we could say about this story. But again, instead of giving you more of an in-depth explanation of this passage, I have a challenge for you. My challenge to you is to deal with it. Study the scriptures, wrestle with them. Those scriptures that are hard... Difficult, bring them to God and let the word and prayer by his Holy Spirit be your guide. And notice that the challenge is not to deal with it by yourself. Have conversations about it. It's just interesting that last weekend I was talking with Mark Skillen and we were talking about this scripture and it was just a brief conversation and we were kind of like questioning, oh, why is this here? And, you know, and even just that few minutes that we talked about it, I felt more in touch or in tune with what God was trying to do with this. Now, I don't have it all down, um, but I'm dealing with it. And so my challenge is to deal with it. Ask spiritual mentors, pastors, and Bible teachers. Read good commentaries and books. Read good online articles. If you if uh, don't know where to look at, we can advise you uh, some places to look. See, when we work on difficult things of the Bible like this one, we actually get a better and more wide-ranging understanding of our God. And I can guarantee you, the more you know and understand him, even through the hard sayings, 
the more you will love him and the more you will recognize and really accept his deep love for you, even when it seems hard. Now, there's a lot more of chapter 5, so I'm going to try to read through most of it and uh, share a few more thoughts. Um, so buckle in, because it's kind of a long, long uh, part. But it's a story, so just try to follow along. Now, many signs and wonders, verse, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, which was part of the temple. None of the, uh, the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. I don't know about that theology. I have to uh, dig deeper into that. Um, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, demonic spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the uh, party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousies, again like chapter 4, if you remember, but this time it was not just Peter and John, it was more apostles. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared uh, opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, okay, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they didn't find him in the prison. So they returned and reported, um, well, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, there was no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, yeah, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people again. When the captain of the officers went through, went and brought them, they brought them not by force because they were afraid of being stoned by the people because people were starting to like these guys. Verse 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in, the na in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard them, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But this Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher who was honored by the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then he talked to the other guys and he said, Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Theudas 
rose up claiming to be somebody. Um, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The sheep, when the, sheep, when the shepherd is stricken, the sheep are scattered. He said, after this, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fall. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So not all the Pharisees are bad. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. There's a good chance that uh, both apostles or all the apostles were scourged with a whip 39 times. That was kind of the custom of that day. I'm not going to get into why, but that was probably how they were beaten. And then verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I like the NIV version, which says, they suffered disgrace for the name, and they put a capital N on name. This has got to be one of my favorite verses of all of Scripture. I mean, can you imagine? These guys get whipped and beaten and, and go to trial, and they were in jail, and they come out, and they were rejoicing for being scourged. Like, woohoo! We just got beaten, you know? Like, we were disgraced. And you kind of people, what? Yeah, being a disgraced for the name. Have you ever been persecuted for the name? Been persecuted for being a follower of Jesus? I've been ridiculed and, and made fun of. But I think about these guys, and this was nothing that I've endured in the United States or even overseas that I, places I've been. It's nothing like what the early Christians endured or the persecution of even Christians today in some places in the world. And we have some missionaries that we support that are in places where if they got caught preaching the gospel, they'd be thrown in prison or more or worse. So I'm going to say a statement, and I say this next statement with as much humility, fear, and trembling as I can muster. But my hope is that I haven't missed out on more severe persecution only because I didn't stand up for the name of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? It's not that I want to be persecuted. Like, I don't think that we should pray that we be persecuted. That's not biblical to pray, God, let me be scourged and whipped for your name. But if you or I have not been rejected or belittled or persecuted because of our faith in Jesus at all, ever, have you ever questioned why? A question I ask of myself well, is, is, what evidence does my life show this culture and this world outside these walls that I have faith in Jesus that will undoubtedly be rejected or ridiculed? You get what I'm trying to say here? Obviously, that's not the goal. 
But that's kind of what's supposed to happen. I mean, Scripture even says that a lot. The preacher, uh, the apostles didn't preach in order to be thrown in jail and beaten, but they were thrown in jail and beaten. Many of us in the church talk about, you know, and we've been talking about this a lot, how we want to go back to living in the days of the first century church. You know, it seems like less complicated, you know. Church wasn't a big corporate thing. They met in houses. Worship and prayer was like a lot more organic. So you want to go back to the early church, first century church, really? Um, this mistreatment of the followers of the Jesus way doesn't stop at Acts 5. It gets worse, and as we read the rest of Acts and the history of the Christian martyrs, we see that they were, in the first century, sawed in half, boiled in oil, fed to lions, burned at the stake, publicly by the Roman authorities for at least the next three centuries. That was part of the early church, too. So consider that. Is that going to happen to us if we go back? I don't know. But Jesus hasn't changed. So getting back to a couple of weeks ago again, the book of Acts is about the formation of the early church. That's part of what it's about. But we also said it's really a book about the Holy Spirit working through his people, forming the community of Jesus followers. So when the angel broke the apostles out, they were told to, verse 20, speak the words of this life. What is this life? Well, it's new life. It's the eternal life. It is a joyful and peaceful life. And it is a committed and purposeful life. And it's all bound up together in following the perfect life of Jesus Christ, who is called the true life. They actually use in the ESV a capital L here for life. But what else is this life? This life is also a narrow way. It's a life of serving others. It's a life that demands wholehearted, singular devotion, even when it's hard. It's a life of following this man of sorrows. It's a life of giving up some things that we have held on to so tightly that we think are part of our personality, but maybe we just need to get rid of. Scripture says, in this life, you will have many trials. And so Jesus, Scripture talks all over about how you will be persecuted. And Scripture even does foretell of some of us even losing our lives. Being a follower of Christ isn't easier. Now, I'm not trying to discourage you from following Jesus, okay? Um, but it is serious. Uh, Luke 16, Jesus says of himself, if this is a life that we accept, we must truly count the cost before we start off in it or continue on in it. Count the high cost of following or being a disciple of Jesus. If you read Luke chapter 16, you get a full the full Monty of what's really going on of being a disciple and follower of Jesus. 
But the reason that I'm not trying to discourage you is because, well, a couple things. John 16, um, 33, Jesus says, yes, in this world, you will have many trials and tribulations. But the very next thing he says is, but take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. The fullness of this life of following Jesus is the true joy, the contentment and peace, comfort, healing of body and mind, adoption into a family, wisdom and solutions to conflict, real purpose. If you're looking for purpose, this is where you find real purpose in life. And these things far outweigh the trials. Oh yeah, and one more thing. We get eternal life where we don't even have to deal after our death with any of these trials or persecutions or any of the the tribulations. We get eternal life. So, I mean, even if we didn't get these other things, you know, it's worth it. Being a follower of Christ isn't easier, but it's better. If you're a Christian believer, you have been given the words of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What could be better? For me, it's all worth it. There's a lot more that we could say, but I want to end here. Again, if you were here when I spoke on uh, chapter 4, the message is the same. This is about the Holy Spirit work. Why were the apostles jailed, threatened, and flogged? For the name. Not the Protestant name. Not the Reformed name. Not the Arminian name. Not the Charismatic name. Not the Evangelical name. But Acts 4 says, For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we... By which we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Regardless of trials and threats, jail time and violence, loss of jobs, loss of prestige, loss of friends, loss of place, Peter says we must obey God rather than men. And it ends in verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, well, so we have some good, uh, good chunk of time where what we've been doing over the last uh, few months is we're going to take some time um, to get in groups of three to five um, and kind of introduce yourselves to each other. Um, if you're brand new and you don't feel comfortable with that, feel free to slip out. Um, if you're also new and uh, don't want to, you know, be part of a group, uh, Scott and, and I and maybe some of the leaders are going to be over by the couch if you have any questions about, you know, the church or whatever. Feel free to do that. If you're brand new, um, there's a visitor's table. And before you leave, if you sign just to be on the newsletter, We'll give you a free gift, um, and that'll be cool. But I've got some questions to, to start you out with. 
The first is uh, introduce yourself if you guys don't know each other and maybe say something unique or interesting about yourself. Don't spend a lot of time on this. Um, if I was going to say something interesting or unique about myself, I would say something unique about myself is that when I eat Doritos, I lick the cheese off of them first. <laughs> and then I eat them. Anybody else do that? Uh, one, I know there are people, yeah, see? You don't want to admit it, right? Yeah, you know how good it is, right? That's the way to eat Doritos. I could also talking, talk about how I eat my pickles and I make them into canoes first before. Up there, see? Okay. Just something, it can be more serious than that, but just something short and quick. And then uh, I, something a little bit more thick in... Um, is think back to the story of Ananias and Sapphira and ask these questions. What do you think Luke, who wrote the, who was the author of this, but it was really God who wrote it, why do you think he put it in there? Um, in, in the Bible, maybe in that place. And how does reading it make you feel? Uh, if you get past that, if you self-identify as a Christian, have you ever been persecuted Persecuted, ridiculed, mistreated, etc., for your faith? And how did you respond when that happened? So, those are the questions. Um, just don't take forever to get into your groups, so groups of three to five ish, and uh, go with that. And then I'll, we'll close you up, you know, in 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. We'll see. All right? All right. God bless you guys.